Welcome to the Employment Law Podcast. I'm Brian Powles, Director of PCC Employment Lawyers. I'm not joined by my normal colleagues Emily Riera and Essie Maravara today. They're tied up, chained to a desk, doing <laughs> doing deeds and contracts and all the rest of it. Um, but uh, we'll be joined by them a little later. I do have a special guest with me um, back to the podcast for, for the second time, Lizzie Boots from Boots and All Consulting. Um, welcome, Lizzie. How are you going? Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me back. It's always a pleasure. We are going to talk today about socialising at work. It's time of year. We've finally had some springtime for a pretty dire winter. And this is the time of year that people start thinking about Melbourne Cup, thinking about Christmas parties, champagne gets on everybody's mind, and it enters into a little bit of a dangerous time for uh, employers um, because social events can cause legal risk and in particular um, w- when they're work functions and we'll talk a little bit about the distinction between what is actually a work function and what's a function that's totally not connected with work at all but in a work function there's really a risk of you know, first of all physical injuries ending in workers compensation claims um, there's also a risk of vicarious liability to third parties that might be injured if, if, if it's a work function, then the employer will be vicariously liable for those injuries. Um, there's also a very serious risk of some things like sexual harassment and bullying. Now, incidentally, we're gonna, I'm not going to go too much into sexual harassment today because I have another guest in a week's time, uh, very excited about a friend of mine, Samantha Manguana from Shine Lawyers, who's an expert on sex, sexual harassment, is going to come and join us. So I won't go into that, but as long as you know that that this is a key thing, liability for sexual harassment at social events can be be really important. And then also, as a final point, if there is bad behaviour and ultimately you want to be able to dismiss someone, there's also unfair dismissal considerations, and in particular, how do you arrange your social event to ensure that you have everything you need to take the appropriate action after the event if something goes wrong. And so that's really the scope of it. But what I'm really interested to talk to you about, Lizzie, is is from the practical perspective, you're, you're much more at the coalface in terms of human resources management and, and advisory to employers. We, we so often deal with the aftermath, but we're not giving the advice in advance. What are some key things that you talk to your clients about in terms of arranging parties? Okay, Brian, I think the most important aspect when we are preparing for our Christmas function is sadly to prepare for the worst in in some ways to (laughs) to have a strategy to what could go wrong Uh, because really when we're looking at uh, when we're holding our functions we're getting towards the pointy end of the year people are tired um, and when you add alcohol to end of year burnout you can quite often end up with a cocktail of chaos so really our job is to try and avoid that um, if we can by really planning our function and laying down the ground rules so that everybody understands things like, um, you know, what, what time does a function start and what is yeah. the, uh, there's a, having a definitive end time for the function is also very yeah. important, as you alluded to. Well, it's funny, Lizzie, because I'm going to give you, at the, end, in, in, at the end of this, I'll give you my 10 rules, but you've already hit one of the really important ones there. Yeah, when, does it, when does it end? Yeah, 100%. I'm doing some things right then, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I talk to my clients about offering transport options. So 
even suggesting that they might um, catch public transport um, to work that day and and in so doing that the company will pay for their Uber um, or their taxi home yeah. so that they arrive yeah. home safely. Um, also, being you know taking extra time to think about the food that you're serving. So serve some substantial nibbles early on. Um, sometimes yeah. it's a mistake that people make um, to have a few cocktails on arrival or a few drinks and then you know two or three hours later the food starts rolling and well you've lost people by then so it's it's yeah. really thinking it can really it can really go to your head if you have it on an empty stomach can't absolutely you? That's a really important consideration and especially if you've been yeah. at work all day and maybe you've skipped lunch yeah. because it's the office christmas party and you want to fit into that dress that you've bought a size too small yeah um, you know as you do <laughs> so, uh, and and have plenty of non-alcoholic options you know really being responsible and uh, you know some of the things I I like to joke with my my teams and I say one water one wine one water one wine and really you know promote that it's a great idea to to mix it up and um, and be responsible instead of sort of really backing away from the idea of responsible service of alcohol I think there's really no better time to be doing that when when you're the boss in a situation when Sometimes there might be underlying tensions in the workplace, and yeah, they. I was going to say something about that. It's funny you talked about end of year burnout plus alcohol. Yes. You've also sometimes got some some tension and and the alcohol, you know, the way that it's got that capacity to sort of loosen inhibitions. Sometimes those tensions can can go from being simmering to completely toxic. But but the same thing when we talk about sexual harassment, you can have some kind of some banter or some you know conduct that's really quite fine in the workplace throw alcohol into the mix and all of a sudden a line is crossed mm. so it's interesting isn't it that one sorry to interrupt no, you but not at all. you've got most of my rules already i'm not going to have much left to say well, it's going to be a very short podcast it'll be a great <laughs> summary um but yeah. it, it sounds like we're really on the same path in terms of really the the rules and regulations around having a party in, in um party rules is to protect both the business and the employee. You, you really want the, the people um, that are enjoying themselves to feel they can be relaxed and they can feel they're having a great time and you know that there's not going to be any you know, great um, need for a big wash-up on Monday morning with um, yeah. you know, performance counselling and, and um, you know, issuing written warnings and things like that. So I suppose really, you know, if you if you're... If you're prepared, the more prepared you are, um, the more likely that everyone's going to walk away from the end of year function or even just a, a regular, you know, a monthly um, get together um, w- with a much better feeling about how the the business looks after them and how safe they feel yeah. um, in the yeah. in the team. Yeah, yeah, because it's because that's the, the flip side of this too. Is that it is really important. It can be hugely important for culture to have these events. You can't just say, no, let's not do it. Um, in fact, you know, particularly with younger people, you know, sometimes when you when you move on a bit in life and you've got some other things, you've got established friendships outside of work, you've got families, kids, all of those things, it changes a bit. But for young people, it's it's a really, it, it can be a really critical thing. And if you, if you don't satisfy that need for them, then, then you'll find yourself without a effective workforce too so it's really a balancing act isn't it and i'm often asked that now is you know when you um, throw the questions back to candidates in an interview and it's quite often that they'll um, ask so what is the company policy on um, 
um, functions and get-togethers and and how do you build the team so I think it, you know they're big on teamwork and team bonding and uh, yep. they they can see that if you know do am I going to fit with this team yeah, it's a it's important aspect yeah, yeah, yeah. employment yeah. so do you have any horror stories I mean, without divulging any client confidences. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I start? My goodness, I love it. I'm so fortunate because uh, I I work across a, a wide range of uh, businesses and some some in the medical industry and some outside that. And, and I find that um, the situations are, are the same. It doesn't, it, it's, they're not um, industry specific. But so I say, you know, one example might be, and again, you don't know that you need a policy until something comes up and you say, oh, we might just add that to our um, Christmas party um, instructions next year. So one yeah, example yeah. was um, a, a young fellow, and we, we knew he lived in the, um, the inner west, and uh, we had the uh, policy, you know, if you arrive by public transport, we will pay your um, Uber or your um, taxi home. And... Um, yeah. The business was presented with um, not only, I think, a $90 um, cab fare um, that um, he chose to pop out to Castle Hill to stay with his girlfriend that night, um, but also a $250 cleaning bill because he um, was sick in the cab and, of course, you had to pay. So, And he actually submitted that to the business uh, for payment to, to say, you need to take care of this. <laughs> so, that's classic. I, I feel very lucky myself having had a hospitality background, you know, as a hospitality manager, both because managing those workforces when they go out is historically bad, but also we just witnessed, we used to witness so much bad and unfortunate behaviour. Mm. You can walk into a room when you're working as a, as a, as a waiter or a manager or as a supervisor and you can see a couple of Christmas parties, and I think you can tell within about five seconds of just observing whether the boss is buying drinks or not. Uh-huh. And that can be sometimes a real motivator, and I think some of those tensions sometimes, I think people, if they feel a little bit undervalued mm-hmm. or underpaid or underappreciated, mm-hmm. I think sometimes can really hit the alcohol mm-hmm. as a sort of, like they feel like they're getting something for because they're unhappy and you can see some really toxic situations. <laughs> I'm just not shocked at anything I hear. And I, I think you, you brought up a good um, topic then um, in, in that anecdote where sometimes if there's underlying tensions and people might be able to let things go, let things go through the year, but you add a little bit, out, add some alcohol to the mix and, um, you know, people end up shaken and stirred. And they really want yeah. to. <laughs> and a, a typical, you know, very generous boss um, took his team to a, a local restaurant. And uh, it was a restaurant where there was a bar. So they all went into the bar after dinner. And he decided to go home um, to, to his family, but threw down yeah. some money, another couple of hundred dollars on the bar and said, um, well, you know, you, you guys all stay and relax and enjoy yourself. And not long after he left, um, a fight broke out between um, yeah. two of the employees, and uh, you know there was some some people lost their hair extensions. You know, lots of things happened, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, and it was again a matter of explaining to him the next day that yes, that was actually a workplace incident because it happened on yeah. work time. 
Well, yeah, yeah. No, I think that might have even been something I reached out to you about, Brian, at the time. I think yeah, I you yeah. That and look, it's really nuanced because it's, it's hard to know and there's a lot of cases around it about what's work and what's not work and there's so many different legal consequences. The really interesting case that reminds me of that one that was th- this year in in the Personal Injury Commission. And so it was in the Personal Injury Commission in the sense that it was actually a workers' comp claim and, and someone that was injured was trying to say that was a work injury um, so that the legal test are a little bit different but it has to be sort of substantially arise out of work in that instance it's a similar scenario it, it was a case Hatton Fells and Richards Panel Proprietary Limited in the PIC the Personal Injury Commission in those circumstances I think it happened in Dubbo and they started out as the official work function in in like the South Dubbo Tavern they then went back to the owner's place and had more drinks at around about 3am and that was next to a golf course. Some of the employees ended up on the owner's golf cart driving around the golf course and, and someone's fallen off. Now, even though they were sort of saying that it wasn't the work function anymore, the, the commissioner held that there was what they called a seamless connection between one function and the other. And I think that's really important and that speaks to some of the rules that we were talking about. But I think once it's established as a work function, that's really then when it's important for the employers to ensure that the right things are happening. And there's a couple of cases on that. I think Keenan and Leighton Borrell, Amy Joint Venture, which was from 2015, which is sort of the gold standard. I've talked about it before on this podcast, where an employee obviously behaved really badly, but the evidence was that everyone was as drunk as anything. They were plying people full of alcohol. And the Vice President Hatcher actually said, you cannot expect people, you cannot hold them accountable for their behaviour when there's limitless alcohol being pumped to them. And a a case more recently, I think three or four years later, that distinguishes that, that's Sonovai and Aldi stores. It it was held to be a work party because Aldi had funded it. But there were some managers in attendance monitoring what happened. There was a limitation on alcohol. And one of the reasons the employee was so badly behaved is that he'd preloaded, if you like, he'd pre-drunk before he got there. And, and it really does show those two cases side by side show that these measures are really important in terms of establishing liability. But that other one, the, the, the golf course one, is a really good example compared to, to yours where you say, okay, just because the boss has left and said, that's it, knock it on the head, if there's that seamless connection, then it's going to still be regarded as being work. And when it comes to injuring third parties or injury, injury to employees, that, that can end up being a pretty serious liability. Mm. I'll run through my rules and we can tick them off because you've already said them, but they've come up in these cases. But, uh, but I've got a, a, you know my 10 commandments, if you like, of, of social events. Love it. The first one that's really important is to, and this is a, a, a rule anyway, that, that all employers should have, have a code of conduct. You've got to have a code of conduct if you're an employer, number one. And I think for these purposes, it's still part of that same rule. It is worth considering whether you make intoxication at work events a breach of the code of conduct. Now, if you do that, you're going to have to define intoxication and, or, or, or you're going to have to be quite, quite clear about what is a breach. The Liquor Act for the purposes of the RSA laws and everything, define intoxication as being A, the person's speech, balance, coordination or behaviour is noticeably affected and B, it's reasonable in the circumstances to believe that the affected speech, balance, coordination is a result of the consumption of liquor. 
that, that's something to consider, number one. Mm. Have that in your code of conduct because then that makes it a much easier to demonstrate, particularly in the Fair Work Commission in an unfair dismissal context, mm. that it's a valid reason for dismissal if, if you set that standard quite high. Mm. Um, and certainly in a lot of corporate scenarios, it is absolutely expected of people when they're representing the employer not to have any intoxication. The important thing about any type of code of conduct, of course, is enforce it fairly. You can't just have it in there, let people be pissed out of their minds all the time and then decide to take action against one person because something goes wrong. If you're going to do it, do it seriously. So rule number two, you've got to have your code of conduct first. Rule number two is remind employees of the code of conduct before the event. Make it clear before the event, have a look at the code of conduct, the code of conduct applies. Rules three, four, five, six are all to do with alcohol, and you've covered some off already, Lizzie. Provide alternative drinks. It's amazing how easy it is to forget that some people are driving, some people don't drink at all, some people want to have other options. And I think it's really true that if you actually have something interesting, you know, if you're treating your employees to cocktails, for instance, or treating them to nice wines, that type of thing, then... You know, think about actually treating your employees that don't want to drink to something a bit special, non-alcoholic as well. Don't just think it's water or beer. Give that other option. If you're giving cocktails, then provide mocktails, for instance. Limit consumption. Um, Consider setting a limitation and absolutely consider, for instance, beer and wine only if there's an open bar. You know, some people would prefer not to give spirits that's completely standard in a lot of situations particularly where there's an, an open or a limitless free bar could be just a limitation on total quantity but also a limitation on what type of drinks monitoring employees is really important that's rule number five and rule number six which is related to rule number five is someone in management has got to be a designated sober person that's a good one yeah you can't monitor employees unless someone is actually and so, so you, you and I both help sort of small to medium enterprises you know workforces that have got eight or nine ten employees and, and you do want to have fun and, and quite often let's say you've got a partner or two partners or two or three principals they've had a tough year too and they want to let their hair down um, it's in but someone needs to put their hand up even if it's the senior HR person or the 2IC or somebody that says yep yeah, okay I've got something on the next day I'm going to drive I'm going to be sensible but if if something goes wrong the employer need may need to act swiftly and that's going to be very difficult if all of the managers and owners were completely blotto themselves I think <laughs> so I think that's an important one other things to think about this is seven to ten entertainment is really important if you just put people in a room with alcohol and that's it then they're going to drink Think about entertainment, think about music, think about a show, think about games even that people can play. And, you know, without being too patronising, I think having some structure to the evening other than just like, let's get on it, I think is really important. The really important one that you've already spoken about is food. One of the best ways to give it structure is food. As you say, substantial nibbles. There's nothing worse than having, you know, you've rushed from work, you've skipped lunch, you have like some thin wafer and three cocktails in a row and yeah that's going to rush to your head isn't it transport think about it implement it do it get people if you can't get them home get them away from the event this is rule number nine and 
very closely related. What you said right from the beginning is designated end to it. And I think you're not going to be able to stop sometimes your employees kicking on by themselves. Strongly advise managers, owners, etc., like the ones in that case with the golf cart. Don't be involved in that. <laughs> <laughs> Set the end date. Do what you can to get the people home, but don't kick on with your employees because you want to avoid that situation where there's that seamless transition. So I think that's really important. Some other things I often think about is think about social media and maybe whether or not there's a ban around social media for the for the function. And the last one is if something does happen, act quickly. And I think the best thing you can do if something happens at your party is get on the phone very early the next morning to Lizzie Boots from Boots and All Consulting or Brian Bounds from PCC Employment Lawyers because you may need some help going forward. Oh, I think that, in, in, in a nutshell, even just getting that advice, Brian, and I, I've turned to you so many times in situations like that to say, you know, this this is a little bit tricky, this is a bit grey, you know, where, where do we sit here? And, and, you know, you can then make decisions that can sometimes then mitigate um, further fallout or risk or, um, you know, other other harm. But I I think um, I'm, well, I've been writing furiously there, social media, I would definitely be adding that to Mm. all of my, thank you for that tip. That will be added to every single one. I think it's important. Yeah, because again, it brings the business, it can potentially bring the business into disrepute. Um, or yeah. the individual associated with the business, it's, it's quite far-reaching. Yeah. So, mm. Well, it can turn something that's not even a problem into a problem. Mm. And I think even in sort of closing as well, some, some of the things that we might be aware of, given time and circumstances, you know, for, for probably the last couple of years at least, two, if not three, we've really been deprived of these opportunities to have work outings, and they've, they've really been pared back and so now there's much more propensity for people to really let go and let their hair down so yeah. I think being aware yeah, yeah, yeah. of that as well it's like all of a sudden like people are going yeah the Christmas party's back it's, you know let's go crazy and that's a really really important point yeah isn't I, it? I think take that on board as a responsible business owner and you know be aware that there could be just that extra degree yeah. of difficulty um, thrown yeah. at us this year. I think that's a really, really important point, Lizzie, mm-hmm. that, that just a cautionary tale for employers. Well, I'll be rolling those out, and I think it's a great time even to be thinking about doing that now, bringing out the Code of Conduct around about October. So then yeah. when we are having our Christmas parties, and more so they're, they're happening in early November now where people are seeing it. It's too close. People are really tired and worn out and more likely yeah. to have other things on. So... I think the timing of, of um, this message is really um, pertinent, Brian. Yeah. Well Great. Well, thank you again for joining me. Always a Lovely pleasure. to chat to you. And, um, and, and we'll get you back on the show again soon. Oh, I look forward to it. Have a great week. Thanks, Thanks Brian. Indeed. Okay. Now it's time to welcome Essie Maravara, Emily Riera, back to the podcast. How are you going, guys? Good. Hey, good. Thanks. <laughs> time for our news segment where we talk about current news and employment law and rate its tweet-worthiness. I've got introduction music for you guys too. It's a special treat. You go first, Essie. I've got your theme tune. 
That is amazing. It's something between Lord of the Rings and, like, you know, the music you get when it's like, back to the studio with... Uh, That's it. Sending it to Essie Maravara live in the newsroom now. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Um, Din Tai Fung, the um, restaurant chain, has uh, been brought to the federal court for underpayments by the Fair Work Ombudsman. Um, and so this is, uh, they've got restaurants in, I think, Chatswood and Sydney and London. Uh, obviously, we're only talking about the Australian uh, restaurants in this case, but they're said to have underpaid migrant workers more than $157,000. They were in court on Monday and um, a payroll officer gave evidence that they had received direct instructions from an HR coordinator to uh, create accurate and false records at the same time. Oh, what, like one set of false ones and one set of accurate ones? Yeah, that's right. And then they're saying that because of that reason, the um, reverse onus of proof that would otherwise uh, be triggered by Section 557C of the Fair Work Act doesn't apply. So in circumstances where companies don't keep records um, and there's an underpayment claim, then the company has to... Uh, disprove the allegation yeah and they're saying that that doesn't apply here because they did keep records (laughs) that were just false records isn't that great no they they kept them yeah that's an interesting i'd be really curious to see if that flies it's well it's an interesting argument but i think it maybe in terms of the reverse onus it wouldn't apply but the fact that the fair work ombudsman have obviously in its possession a false set of records and an accurate set of records is not going to be very hard to prove what they've done, which is to falsify records. Yeah, but it won't be very... critical, but... <laughs> that is... That's great. I thought it was pretty funny. That's very good. That is, even though it's the Fair Work Ombudsman, I'm going to give that irresistibly tweetable. <laughs> what do you think, Emily? Yeah, I'm always a big fan of underpayment. <laughs> <laughs> so Emily loves underpayments. Keep that in mind, Brian. <laughs> awesome. All right, Emily. Here's time for your theme tune. Yours is different. I got I got us different theme tunes. Thanks, Brian. I really feel the pressure now. <laughs> it does add pressure. I think I will rename the game What Brian's Would Not Tweet because Excellent. <laughs> I've decided to talk about COVID again. No, that's good. Yeah, we need a bit more COVID. And <laughs> the National Cabinet for recently agreed to extend the pandemic leave disaster payment beyond the original date of September 30. And so they decided that the payment will remain payable for as long as monetary solutions period are applied by all states and territories. And so they just change the monetary period of resolution in New South Wales, I think from seven days to five days. But during this period, you can still claim for the pandemic leave disaster payment. They've limited the claim at three claims every six months. 
It makes a lot of sense to me, and I think it was I, maybe the ASU or the ACTU, maybe Sally McManus, I'm not sure, but actually came out and said exactly that. How can you turn off relief payments if you are making people yeah. isolate? Um, and it makes sense in that sense. So yeah, you don't have your sick leave, too bad. You have to stay yeah. home, but you don't get any compensation. Um, yeah, that's, that's tweetable, very tweetable, not irresistible. Um, okay, with that. <laughs> I think take the win, Emily. I mean, you got Brian to tweet about COVID. Definitely. <laughs> How many times has he sworn off? You also you also got me to say that I agree with Sally McManus and ACTU as well, which is. And we, he's retweeting the Fair Work Ombudsman today. This is a great great day. I'm just in a really good mood. That's it. Yeah. Take advantage. Oh, <laughs> I would also say retweetable. It's information. You know, it's 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 an yeah, informative. Yeah. All right, my turn. Here you go. I've gone for the retro. Okay, Relationships Australia have made a submission to the Senate inquiry on family and domestic violence leave. Have you guys seen this one? I haven't. Okay. So the family and domestic violence bill, as it's sort of being proposed at the moment, is very clear that it doesn't include perpetrators of family domestic violence. Relationships Australia say that it should include the perpetrators. Oh. And they should get paid leave if they've got to attend court and that type of thing as a result of their own violence against their partner. Okay. The rationale is apparently that remediation of perpetrators is really important and leave will allow them to do that. I'm not a fan of that idea. I'm sort of going to go on the record now to say I'm going to, if, if that comes into law, I will be conscientiously objecting. You're saying to that. perpetrators can just use their annual leave or go on unpaid exactly leave right. and just deal and with specifically, that. Yeah. Yeah, as you guys are actually employees of mine, you're on notice that if you bash your partners and have to attend court, you will be required to use annual leave. And if you want to sue me for a breach of the National Employment Standards for that, you go can, for it. You can go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Yeah. It's a good you know, point to make, but I'm not sure if it has place in that bill. It's definitely perhaps a step too far. Okay, I would retweet that. I'd, I'd put that in the super duper retweetables category. You put it in super duper? Yeah. Thank you. Hmm. That's controversial. Twitter loves it is controversy. controversial. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that's been retweeted. I'm sure it's will have to find it. Before she, I don't know how to find stuff like that on Twitter. Yeah, I need to tweet them all. Yeah. Heading back to Essie Maravara and the PCC newsroom. You're having way too much fun with this. That was good. I like the short version. Okay, I'm sorry. Newsroom, Essie, sorry. Okay. Um, I would like to tweet about the fact that uh, there's yet another turn of events in the Sydney Trains drama where uh, the um, New South Wales Rail, Tram and Bus Union have said that they will be um, turning off the Opal card readers at train stations starting next Wednesday. And... Uh, 
And so now the New South Wales government has said that they're getting legal advice on whether that's even lawful. Um, because I think last time they did this, they just opened the gates. They um, and, and there's been all this coverage about how 90% of commuters were still tapping yeah, exactly. uh, the Opal reader. So it wasn't really yeah. a huge loss, but now they're going to be turning off the machines, as I understand it. So that was my a bit tweet. different. And so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, you had that yes. one, did you? Well, oh. I feel like as a French person, thought about <laughs> it, and then I was like, I need. I should to have talk, known. You have dibs. This track. Um, I think they say they've received legal advice now. Yeah. Yes, suggesting that this is illegal, and you're right. The difference yeah. is the last time they just opened the gate so you can yeah. still tap on tap off but from next week they're planning like to completely switch off the machine so the gate will be open and you will not be able to tap on tap off and they're saying that is illegal and awful. what i think is strange is that the buses did this too and i don't recall it being I want to know what the difference is between doing this at train stations and bus drivers doing it in the vehicles that they drive. I'm going to hazard a guess. This is news to me, like completely. I've never seen it. But I think somewhere the distinction is going to be about whether or not it's in the scope of your work. So in a sense, if it's your job to turn the gates so that they go to closed and turn the gates so they go to on um, and you refuse to do that job, then that's going to be a you know like a lawful form of industrial action. So with the bus drivers, if it was part of what they had to do was to switch on that machine, and they just didn't do it, then I think that's kind of in the realm of industrial action. If it's not their job to switch on or turn off the actual open machines in the train station, then fundamentally they that that where it's become unlawful. They're going beyond the scope. But of I would imagine refusing one of their tasks. Surely somebody has they, a job where it's it's their responsibility to make sure that they are on or that they report if they're not on. You know, someone yeah, will have something I like bet, that. But I bet you they. But I bet you those those machines stay on. Yeah. Twenty four seven, which means that actually taking the step of switching them off is going beyond the lawful authority within your role. So it's like it becomes sabotage rather than a refusal to do your job. I don't know. I'm just making that no, up. No, no, no. I was but thinking I, about it. it. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Yeah. It must it might be something like that. Well, I think you should be allowed to be on strike if you want to. It's a legal <laughs> so right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, 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 it is. And for the it commuters... Is. Who I am. <laughs> I think it's great. Yeah. Um, I'm for yeah. opening the gate. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And I, I like it. I, I think it's got a, a nice feel to it because then from the commuter's perspective too, they're getting they're getting something yeah. for the fact that I was about to say it's really it's clever. A, it's a bit of a it's like in because France when they are on strike, all the commuters are blocked. Like trains are not running, flights yeah. not flying, the roads yeah. are blocked. So you cannot do anything. You're not on strike but you can yeah. go to work. Yeah, it's great. You yeah. get to go to work for free. <laughs> but it is that fine that fine line and we've talked yeah, about it before the where the truck drivers yeah. used to park in the tunnel yeah. and just park and it's like within the scope of their job to drive somewhere and then stop and cause that interruption you know obviously if you actually sabotage a factory for instance that's unlawful oh, and I think yeah. that's the thing is where you're actually switching off a machine when that's not yeah. in the scope of your authority but the machines could step over work. like the machine is not broken yeah 
they still work, but but it's it's not it's not it's not in it's not in your your in your lawful authority as an employee to do that. Like it's you know it's a form of sabotage. Whereas if it was your job to switch it on every day and you chose not to switch it on, yeah. that would be different. So, yeah, that's great. That's very retweetable. Yes. But Emily, she stole yours, yeah, did she? she Have you got a reserve? I keep Hang doing on, this. I'm gonna give you your music. I try with my reserve one. <laughs> um, so just there was a case before the Federal Commission for uh, with a Schalke worker who was sacked after uh, uh, criticizing a director on. Yeah. This was mine. If it makes you feel better, Emily, this was mine. <laughs> it makes me a lot better. <laughs> So she was like after publicly, in a way, like criticizing her director on the Western Habitanda in front of her other colleagues. And the commission found that the dismissal was unfair. But I guess I have to go into the details. So the situation was that uh, she was a casual employee. So the director decided after seeing this public criticism to not give her more shift. So she didn't really, she was not really dismissed, but uh, she didn't get any further shift. And Deputy President Mason found that it was actually dismissal because the other casual workers were still having shift. And that was the first time that she was not providing with um, working hours. So because it was dismissal, she hasn't been advised of the reason for dismissal and she was not able like, to respond to, to this. So dismissal was found unfair. Yeah, that's... Yeah. And it's something that I think, real cautionary tale, because that whole notion of, oh, someone's a casual and you can just not engage them anymore. Um, just doesn't fly before the commission at all. Like we all know, if there's an, if, if if there's a reason why you're doing that, and as long as you know if the jurisdictional hurdles are met, the regular, systematic, and the um, length of service is, is six months or, or one year for small businesses, then switching off their work is dismissal, and it has been for a, you know a, a long time. So that was a that was a pretty weak argument. Yeah. But those circumstances were interesting too. She was only back a week from parental leave as well. The, the, um, you, you go on, Essie, you were going to say something. Oh, I was just going to say that I remember reading Sorry. that they claimed that the reason for uh, not giving her shifts or, or cancelling all her shifts for the following week was because they were overstaffed and the commission was like, well, you have 17 other, I can't remember if 17, but other casual workers, did you take away any of their shifts? And yeah, they yes, didn't. Yeah. So that was... Yeah. that. It, it yeah. wasn't, yeah. It wasn't very well thought through the defense. The, the, the defense that is, I think, someone that needed the benefit of a bit more advice. Yeah. But what I found interesting too is was actually on the system tander, the payroll system, um, and the post that was made by the employer was critical of of so many people taking mm-hmm. leave, and this employee stood up for the employees and said, 
there's perhaps there's legitimate reasons why those employees took leave and then her shifts were cut off. Good on her. So it has a little bit of an adverse action feel to it as well. So in, in many ways, and I think unfair dismissal was probably the right forum still for on, on the facts, but it was, uh, so that's a good one. Highly retweetable, super duper, highly, highly retweetable. retweetable. I think so too. I think that's my first time. <laughs> No way. Really? With both highly super duper <laughs> Yeah, lovely. Well, I think the rule the rule has to be that if you were going to say it, you can't give it anything other than irresistible. I agree. Yeah, yeah, because that, otherwise that's just a hypocrite. All the wool can be white boy yeah. and would not tweet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. My last one, I'm going to have to go into my reserve now, but I'm kind of pleased because I like my reserve. So just give me a second for my music. An NRL referee, as you guys know, something that's quite close to my heart. An NRL referee failed in his application for jurisdiction unfair dismissal on the basis that his fixed term contract, I think it was his fifth fixed term contract in a row, was not renewed and he was claiming a dismissal and the commission has held that his contract ended and therefore his employment ended by the affliction of time, applying the sort of rule in Navitas. Um, um, the interpretation of section 386 1A of the Fair Work Act that an termination of employment is not at the initiative of the employer if it expires by the affliction of time and even in circumstances where there's been multiple fixed term contracts. So his um, claim for unfair dismissal failed. Now, why I enjoyed this case was that I sort of acknowledged that there's problems with the fixed term contract rule. There's definitely problems with 386 1A and, and fixed term contracts are at the moment a, a, a way to, substantially a way to bypass unfair dismissal protection. What I find quite slightly amusing about it is the fact that the NRL has problematic rules and it has problematic officiating, but the referees and the administration are constantly telling us that we just have to accept it and suck it up. Well, the Fair Work Act has some problems with Section 386 and I think the current interpretation leaves a loophole open, but unfortunately the employees that are in that situation also have to suck it up. There was a little bit of irony for me there. (laughs) (laughs) so that's it i'd tweet that but it has to come with your little irony comment you have to include that in the tweet ah that's right it would need an emoji (laughs) (laughs) definitely would need an emoji okay so this week equal second me 14 points Okay. 14 points? Where Equal do you get second, that? <laughs> Emily, 14 points. The winner again, Essie. Oh. Yes. 16. You want to know that you want to understand the scoring system? Yeah, actually. Yes, no, we don't have transparency. <laughs> <laughs> so you get four points if something's irresistibly tweetable. Mm-hmm. Three points if it's just tweetable. Three points. Okay, sorry. Four points if it's irresistibly tweetable. Three points if it's tweetable. 
two points if it's just ambivalent, one point if it's not tweetable at all. So you get one point, it's like a participation point. That's very cute. And so the maximum, Essie got the maximum score. Oh, okay. thank you. Like, Next time, champ. I give Essie one point. Hey, where's just the ref? Sure. Where's the referee? Still, she doesn't win every week. <laughs> this is workplace bullying? It could be, deliberately. Uh, it probably is. P- publicly. <laughs> <laughs> Even worse. We may need to refine the refine the scoring system. I think we've really got to refine. I don't the think game. we do. You don't? I think okay. it's perfect. <laughs> well, at least we've got the theme music now. I think that's a keeper. All right. Well, thanks everyone. Thanks guys. That wraps up another podcast for today. We'll see you next time. As always, if you've got any queries about anything you've heard today on the podcast, and you want some advice, reach out. Give us a call. We're always here and happy to help. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. Bye.